New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Happiness is not for the lucky few. It's a choice any one of us can make. It doesn't matter whether you are a cynic, despondent over life's many sorrows, or a harried commuter raging at freeway traffic. Joy already exists inside each of us, and we can recognize it with the appropriate tools. Finding happiness and joy serves as the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, James Beres. James Beres has been teaching meditation since 1978 and the Awakening Joy class since 2003. Thousands have taken the course. He leads retreats, workshops, and classes in the U.S. and abroad and is a founding teacher of Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California. He is the co-author with Shoshana Alexander of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. Join us for the next hour as we explore transforming our everyday experience into genuine happiness with our guest, James Beres. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. James, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, I want to go back to uh, um, the early days, early when you were just beginning. and um, you, you, you met Neem Karoli Baba. Actually, I never met Neem Karoli Baba him, you... in, in the flesh, but um, he changed my life. <laughs> and how did he change your life? What happened? Oh, well, like many people from my generation, uh, reading Be Here Now, I think 1970 is when it came out, um, uh, changed everything. Uh, something came through those pages. It was like it just leapt, his, his spirit and his heart leaped right from the pages and right into my heart and through Ramdas and uh, and his transmission. And there was something that uh, made me feel that I wasn't alone. I wasn't like an alien who'd been dropped on this planet that, uh, that other people, um, uh, that there was a goodness inside of us and it was inside of me as well. And that um, as as Neem Karoli Baba or Maharaji would say, the best form to worship God is every form. And I took that to mean uh, keep looking for the good in life, inside and outside, and uh, you'll see it. And that's been my practice since in many other ways, but that's the essence of it, which is really what, uh, what the Course and the book are about. And how about uh, uh, Punja, Punjaji? Mm. Well, in 1990, I, I went to uh, meet 
HWL Punja or Punjaji, some, sometimes known as Papaji. And he also had a profound effect on me. Uh, as I uh, mentioned, when people, people ask, why did you uh, write about joy? Uh, for a while, I got very serious about my, my practice. And uh, in fact, I'd say dead serious. <laughs> uh, and then uh, meeting Punchaji, who was this amazing light and who radiated love and deep understanding of emptiness, what we call emptiness in, a, in, in a Buddhist philosophy. Um, in some sense, it's really fullness. Fullness, he says, there was a joy around about him that actually helped me reclaim my own natural joy. <clears throat> when I when I went to see Punjaji, uh, I had so many questions for him, and he'd say, "Give me all your questions." I, fortunately, it was still a, a small scene; it, it mushroomed much bigger uh, not too long after I saw him for the first time. He said, give me all your questions. And I barrage him with all these questions. And then finally, at the very end um, of my three-week stay there, I said, Punjaji, I have one more question. He said, give me your question. What is your question? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, when, uh, when Buddhists talk about emptiness, it seems so profound and and serious, even solemn, you know, the profound understanding of emptiness. You talk about emptiness, you would talk about it all the time, but somehow you laugh and you have fun. And, you know, I said, why is your emptiness so much more fun than, <laughs> than the Buddhists that, that I hang around with and, 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 uh, and share my own teachings with? And he says, well, you know, if you touch something profound in the stillness of meditation, you could get tricked into thinking that that is where you, the way you access it. And then anything out of that stillness, other than that stillness, is, um, uh, is antithetical to the, the deepest truth. He says, my emptiness, I'll see if I can do a little, <laughs> if I can channel him, my emptiness includes sorrow, includes joy, includes love, includes pain. You know, my emptiness, it rejects nothing. My emptiness rejects nothing. Nothing is rejected. And then he'd laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh. Inwardly, thank you for reminding me what I know in my heart to be true. And uh, those three weeks had a, a profound effect of getting me back into that place that I, I knew inside, but I kind of lost for a while. Yeah. Your wife, Jane, has also been a very strong influence in, in, your, in your life and your work, yes? Oh, of course. How can you not be with somebody for 30 years and, uh, and not have a... a a profound influence. Jane, we we have a really great relationship. I'm so blessed with that. And uh, she, I fell in love with her goodness from the start. And her goodness and her integrity and her love and the love that we share uh, has helped me grow in ways I could never have done w without her. 
She actually also uh, critiques your your work. Yes, I turned to her for uh, every word on that in that book has gone through her uh, her lens a few times, and uh, I, I trust her implicitly. She's she's really wise, and uh, she's when I want to check something out, I said, "What do you think, dear?" And uh, she's she's right there. Because you, you, you wanted the book, you wanted the book to be as practical as possible, so that anyone anywhere can understand. Yes, absolutely, and that that's that's the idea. After I, I did reclaim my my joy. I went back to the Buddhist teachings and said, where where did I get confused? Because um, somehow the 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 teachings can some. There's so much emphasis on suffering. There's suffering, there's a cause of suffering, there's a path, there's the end of suffering, a path to the end of suffering, and I had lost my joy. And I said, what? Where did I go wrong? Because the Buddha is called the happy one. And, you know, there's joy in many, many different lists, but it just didn't get so much airplay. And so I wanted to not only see for myself what the Buddha had to say about happiness, but to make it as accessible to anyone, whether or not they ever were interested in, in Buddhist philosophy. And, uh, and so making it that, um, not just mainstream, but that accessible so that anyone could relate to it and practice, not just theoretically, but practice the, these teachings and principles uh, was was one of the most important things I wanted to convey. Where were you raised? New York City, Queens, New York, Jackson Heights, Elmhurst yeah. for any Queens <laughs> natives. Yeah. So, uh, were you raised in a religion? I was raised uh, Jewish, conservative uh, Judaism. And I, uh, you know, I was bar mitzvahed, and uh, went, and my family is very strongly identified with being Jewish. But in in my upbringing, it was more like it was your heritage, but the the deep spiritual dimension of it, I longed for, but didn't didn't get. And so um, I was looking for for that that connection with a, a deeper heart and, and awakening and the, the, the mysticism that I later saw was in Judaism but, but had uh, not been exposed to. Uh, so I still have a deep gratitude and respect for my heritage and uh, wanted to find other ways that I could connect with, with something deeper as well. What brought you to California? Um, I had been teaching school in New York for about 10 years, came out to California and actually continued uh, for two more years. But um, if you're not, if you don't have the energy for teaching school, I taught mostly fifth grade and sixth grade. It, it gets old kind of fast. It's not about the kids. It's about whether you can match the kids with the energy and it was for many years I was I loved teaching school I would take kids on trips on Saturdays and just do stuff because it was great being around kids but um, 
at some point when it stopped being inspiring and I, I felt there was something more that I wanted to, um, that I was supposed to do. And I, uh, I just felt it was time to, to find something else. So when I came out to California, actually, I, I took a, uh, I went up and down the coast and it was, and it was on the Santa Cruz campus where, where I remember saying, my goodness, this is, <laughs> God, I've come to the promised land. <laughs> yes, really. Why would I want to go back to Queens? And uh, that, that was it. The UC Santa Cruz campus is actually a beautiful campus. It's built on a, actually part of a farm. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Extraordinary place. Uh, so uh, there are many flavors of joy. And, and what is joy? Hmm. Yeah, that's a question that often gets uh, gets asked. What do you mean by joy? Some people say joy. You know, give me a break. I'll just take not being miserable today. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, joy is a real stretch for a lot of people. It's such a, an alive word. When I talk about joy, I'm really meaning an underlying feeling of well-being that has many, many different flavors and expressions from uh, effervescent cartwheels to that, that people sometimes think of when they hear a joy, to a, a deep, quiet contentment, to uh, a feeling of ease or peace. And, but really, it comes down to being um, connected, authentic, and alive. That's, that's, for me, the essence of what I'm wanting to uh, show people that they can access. I'm speaking with James Barris. He's the author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. guest is James Beres, and he's the author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. James, you were talking about joy, and uh, you do these classes, and, and there was one, there was a woman that was in, your, in one of your classes, and she was the skeptic, and she was like, um, she was in your class, and she was the resident skeptic, and she so talk about her. Do you remember this, this story? Uh, if you're on the beginning, there was a, a woman named Vicky early uh, yeah. in the book. Yeah. Yes, she it was she was skeptical uh, skeptical about her own capacity for for joy. She 
had been uh, in chronic pain for a number of years and was very depressed over that as well. So when she came, actually, she first came to a meditation class that that I taught. She took it twice, and she found some way to work with her sadness and fears to the point where she was um, dealing with them better and not being overwhelmed by them. And then I said, you know, I'm starting this this course on joy. And she said, well, gosh, you know, just not being overwhelmed by my depression is big. Joy just seems like it's out of, out, out, you know, not in in my galaxy. And, uh, but she wanted to go for it. Uh, She said, okay. And when she first started, she was skeptical. You know, I don't know about this joy stuff. It might be for others, but I don't think it's in, you know, it's it's possible for me. And as I mentioned the story in the book, um, the first key to awakening joy or well-being is believing that you have that capacity in you. And uh, I share the story where I said, well, are, are, you, are, you, are there moments ever when you're feeling joy? And she said, well, I said, tell him, think of some moment. She said, well, when I'm, when I'm playing with my niece, I said, oh, tell me about it. And she would start describing it and uh, her face lit up. And, uh, and I said, what's that? What are you feeling right now? And she said, oh, well, I'm feeling lighter i'm feeling i'm feeling good you know i said well how you can't say you don't have that capacity oh i said what what would it be like if you decided to bring that out more and more and that was where we got in touch with her intention which is the first key step i said just could you envision what that would be like if you practiced it for the next six months? At that point, it was a six-month course. Or the next few years, and you just got more and more able to access and recognize and allow those feelings of well-being. And uh, we, we went through a process where she did get in touch with her decision, not wishing it would happen or hoping it would happen, but deciding to do her part to make it happen. And and when she did that, then everything started to change. And as she she wrote me a very moving, she shared with me and then wrote me a very moving um, uh, email afterwards, and I've been in touch with her since, she said, I could never have imagined the, the change, the power that would come from deciding to do my part. I'm not in the the throes of despair as I had been. My friends are who had been kind of keeping their distance uh, after she was just going down for for a while. My friends are are noticing a difference in their their back. My boyfriend who was going to end the relationship because he didn't know if there was any hope in me changing. Uh, not only is back in the relationship, but he proposed to me. And uh, we're we're getting married. She since just when the when the book came out, uh, had a baby, huh. and she's hey. her whole her life has changed because she made that decision. That's the magic ingredient. Yes, 
and any of us could do that. It's at, possible. At any time, you know, there's, there was a, what is it? If you think something is impossible, you'll make it impossible. I think it was Mark Twain that said that. And if you think something is possible, it, it can be. It is. Right. There was a, uh, a Mark Twain quote that you had in the book. The, the, the book, I should say, is, is filled with wonderful quotations from wonderful people. Um, keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. The really great people make you feel that you too can become great, Mark Twain. And that's really a, a, a key component that if you look for the good in others— you bring it out of them. If you see their gifts, you can help them realize their greatness. And it's both a, a, a great gift to others, but it's probably one of the best ways to access joy in yourself, just bringing out the best in everyone around you. The happiness set point. There's a happiness set point. Talk about that. Mm. Well, um, you know, for a long time, it was thought that we're just, our temperament is genetically set and there's not much you can do about it. And to some extent, there is a, a genetic predisposition. Some people are naturally upbeat. Some people are a bit more reserved or introverted. Um, but while that, there's some effect determined by how much uh, your genetics um, predispose you, it's now thought that 50% is genetic, 10% is circumstance, life circumstance, which definitely can have an effect. You know, if you're going through stress or you don't have, you've gone through grief or whatever, it'll affect your happiness. But 40% is malleable. 40% we can have a very uh, dramatic effect on our general level of well-being. And you can go in either direction. You can go towards more bitterness or you can go towards more wellness. And the choice is, is yours. As you think, so you are. Sounds right. Um, there was something that, that struck me. You talked about the kumbaya factor. <laughs> kumbaya factor. What is the kumbaya factor? Oh, you know, when people say awakening joy, uh, one, of the, one of the common um, uh, hesitations, reservations, uh, as the, this course is, a, is like a magnet for skeptics. Sometimes people say, oh, give me some joy. And sometimes they say, well, it would be nice, but yeah, show me. I don't, I don't think so. And so it's not like everybody is going in there with a big smile pasted on their face. And this fellow one, one time stood up, and there was at the early class, uh, the first class of the course series. And he said, you know, I'm having some trouble here. You're talking about joy. Look what's going on in the world. You know, look at all the suffering. Look at all the pain. How can, isn't it self-indulgent to just say, oh, you know, is, is this forget your troubles, come on, be happy? You know, and, and he said, it sounds like we're all singing along. Here's another song. He said, like we're sitting around singing someone's, someone's singing Lord Kumbaya. And we, I, I said, very good. And then we called it, oh, that's the Kumbaya factor. 
And if you're, if you cut yourself off from your well-being and joy because you feel guilty or you think, oh, how can I if there's so much suffering? What you're doing is depriving the world of your well-being. And so, as I like to point out, it's this great gift to everybody. If you're around somebody who's depressed over the state of the world and anxious and fearful, do you say, oh, great, thanks. It's so much fun to be around you. <laughs> yeah, right. You might commiserate <laughs> and say, yeah, what a drag it is. But when you're around somebody who is coming from a place of love and loving the world and wanting to make a difference in the planet, it inspires and awakens that in you as well. So I, 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 one of my favorite quotes in the book is from Howard Zinn, who says, uh, you know, to be an optimist in, uh, in difficult times is not foolishly romantic or a, 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 blithe, a slightly sappy whistler in the dark, you know, that what we choose to, to focus on will determine our lives. And if we only focus on all the terrible things, then that's how we'll see the world. But if you can see all the goodness all around you, which doesn't make the papers. It doesn't yes. make it doesn't sell right. newspapers or, or get our It's not sensational. It's yeah. not news. Yeah. But if you focus on all the goodness and all the ways that human beings are magnificent and care and are compassionate, that gives you energy to act and it and inspires you to make a difference. And as he says, you know, uh, at least the possibility of sending the spinning top of the world in a different direction. So I've always felt that having a positive vision, not burying your head in the sand, having a real positive vision and wanting to make a difference out of love and out of your own um, celebration of the, the beauty and miracle of life is much more magnetizing and effective engagement than coming from a place of fear. Yes. Well, that was an article uh, from Nation magazine entitled The Optimism of Uncertainty. Yeah. It's a beautiful article. Yes, it is a great article. Uh, uh, an optimist isn't necessarily a blithe, slightly sappy whistler in the dark of our time. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It's based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, kindness. And it goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to get past the kumbaya factor to see this is a very wonderful, generous act to get more in touch with your own love of life and your own uh, appreciation and see what gifts you have to share. It's always the Dalai Lama said the purpose of life is to be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you, uh, it's interesting when, when, any, when you're ever with the Dalai Lama, uh, He's always laughing, he's happy, and, and it's like, whoa, I want to be around this guy. Yeah, and he's certainly seen more suffering than most of us could yes. ever imagine. But what he's learned, because he's not afraid of suffering, to, he, 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 can, he can let it move through him very, very quickly. Feel it, I've seen him cry, and five minutes later be giggling. That's a very amazing, fluid uh, opening to life. And it's because he can see the goodness as well as the difficulty. You have to see both. How do we do that? How do we become, how do we become more fluid? Mm. Well, it takes practice, definitely, because we, 
most of us are kind of dense and stress makes us that much more dense and concretized and armored. So one big practice is to um, learn to be present for your life and be here for all the ups and downs and not think it's just about arriving at a moment of the final destination, but being here for the roller coaster. Then you start to let life move through you. I'm speaking with James Beres. He's the author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. And the website is awakeningjoy.info. You can also get there at the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. guest is James Beres, author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. The book is written in conjunction with Shoshana Alexander as the co-author, so I want to say that. And also, if you'd like more information about the work of James, you can go to the website, awakeningjoy.info. That's awakeningjoy.info. Also, I want to recommend the website, James Beres, B-A-R-A-Z dot Com, James Beres, and it's B A R A Z dot com. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. James, we were, we were, uh, speaking of how, how can we get there? How can we become more fluid? And, and there was a, um, Great quote that you quoted that you used from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, 1772, 1810. Joy is not incidental to the spiritual experience. It is vital. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Mm -hmm. I think so. Because, um, well, like we were saying before, if you're just focusing on what's wrong in the world, that's the lens that you'll see it through. And if you can feel your aliveness, it's like you're connected with the aliveness of of life all around you. And then you also start to see and appreciate that everywhere and help awaken that in others as well. One of the things in the book, there are exercises throughout the book to help us to get to the place that you're trying, that we want to get to. So can we talk about some of those exercises? Sure, sure. And the place we're trying to get to is, has been inside all along. So... It's just activating that place. I, I sometimes you know, ask a room full of people, anyone here that doesn't want to be happy? And if they, sometimes I can sense somebody fighting their hand going up <laughs> and wish they, if they had enough uh, uh, gumption, they might say, yeah, I, I like being grumpy sometimes. And I say, well, that's your way of being happy. You know, it, we all have this place that wants well-being and happiness. So this is really just activating this place that's been inside us all along since we were little kids. Yes. As far as then um, not only accessing it, but activating it and, and having it be expressed more, as, as you say, the, the, the book 
is filled with practices and the subtitle being 10 steps that will put you on the road to real happiness. Each step is a, a particular wholesome state that one can cultivate that I uh, presented in, from real, uh, from Buddhist philosophy for 2,500 years, but these states ha can be practiced and uh, and they can be practiced by anyone. The first the first step is the intention to incline towards well-being, and then the second step is to be more present for your life and not only be there for the for the ups and downs, but when you are feeling a feeling of well-being, to not miss it, and that is a key for the whole rest of the course and the book that there are those moments when you might say oh feeling good right now that can be fleeting and miss and be missed it's different to feel what it's like to feel good so to really take in those moments of well-being makes all the difference in the world this is corroborated and we'll get to a, a practice in a moment but I just want to underscore this this is also corroborated in neuroscience, modern neuroscience, where if you let your attention rest in that quality of well-being, feel it in your body, explore it, feel the landscape of it in your mind, even for just a few moments, it deepens the neural pathways in your brain. And one of my, my friends, uh, Rick Hansen, who's a neuroscientist and uh, uh, one of the speakers of the course, the course has lots of neuroscience experts and uh, happiness experts. He says that when you're feeling good, if you take 30 seconds to really let it in, do that six times in a day. I know that's a lot. That's three minutes of feeling good. <laughs> if you do that for two weeks, you will notice a dramatic difference in your whole quality of well-being because you'll start to have your radar out for it. You'll take it in. It's nourishing. And you start to incline your mind that way, which is very different than scanning the horizon for what's wrong. That's how our brains operate often because the amygdala in there is keeping us surviving and we're looking for what's wrong. So this is changing it around and really letting yourself feel and connect with those feelings of well-being. Now, to apply this, say the third step is gratitude, is opening up to gratitude. And when you are feeling grateful to let yourself really tune into it and, 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 and feel that capacity. If I could take you just very briefly on a little exercise, yes. If, yes. If, if the dead space is okay on, on radio. Of course, let's do it. Okay, hopefully it it'll be in a live space. Okay, just for a moment, you might close your eyes and think of some blessing in your life, either someone that you're grateful for or grateful to or some circumstance in your life that you feel really fortunate and have an image of either that person or that situation. And as you have that image, just give a very simple, sincere thank you, either to that person or to life. And as you're feeling that, just let yourself relax into that feeling of gratitude. Just 
don't have to do anything special, just open up to that landscape. Oh, thank you. Try it one more time, just take a breath. And bring one more blessing up. Somebody or something. Have an image of that person or situation. And a very simple, sincere thank you. Just let yourself relax into it. the grateful heart. There you go. What was that like? Nice. It was very pleasant. Mm -hmm. So if you have your radar out for all the blessings in your life, this is one of the 10 steps. And every time you th something comes to you, to just let yourself take it in for a few moments. It doesn't have to be a long, deep meditation, go into a cave, just, oh, wow, and, and give thanks. That starts to reorient you and open you up because all of those states of well-being are expansive states, which are very different from the contracted states of suffering. And the mindfulness applied to those feelings of well-being makes all the difference in the world. So it's basically somehow how the brain works, that that if we close it, if we narrow it, um, there's no way to be open to that. Yeah, as one uh, as a, a Tibetan, wonderful Tibetan teacher uh, talks about gratitude, for instance, as as like putting out your satellite dish. If you're if you're there grumbling, complaining, and contracted, <laughs> and well, this is wrong and that's wrong, there's no room for the blessings to to be experienced. But when you say thank you and you open up your heart and open up your whole being in that gesture of appreciation, there's a, uh, you open up your satellite dish and can feel all the blessings more and more. So you're, you, you, you win both ways in the thanks and in the receiving of, of and, and um, uh, recognizing all the blessings there. I think of Brother David Steinlerast and his gratefulness. You know, he's he's a real inspiration for for me. And uh, gratefulness, the heart of prayer, is just basically um, seeing the miracle of life all around. One one further step is in, in the gratitude chapter, which I uh, I mentioned, which is a, a key when you're feeling appreciation for somebody or towards somebody, to express it. Because once you move from that thought to actually communicating it, the karmic impact is much deeper and the connection you feel between you and that other person is, is greater. It can be a few words that last a lifetime where you don't miss the opportunity to just express your natural appreciation as it spontaneously arises. Yes. Well, what arose for me first... Mm -hmm. The first was Justine, mm -hmm. and uh, just just you know feeling her, and and so thank you, Justine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and my second happened to, it was to do with the birds in my life. I have lots of birds in my life. So right outside our home here is a bird feeder, and then back and and there's so all these wonderful birds, and just I really appreciate them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. And, And this is another point. It's like once you start having your radar out, you see it everywhere. There's a, a line I, I quote uh, Einstein who says, there's two ways to go through your life. One is as if nothing is a miracle, and the other is as if everything is a miracle. Yes. I'd say go for the latter. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, really, for sure. Yeah. Um, there, there was a great story you told about going to, uh, in 1974, going to, uh, the Naropa Institute's, what you called spiritual summer camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, talk about that. <laughs> well, that was when I uh, uh, when I first met Ramdas uh, in the flesh, and uh, finally I'd been carrying around "Be Here Now" like a Bible for a few years, and I had a very profound interaction with him when I first when I first got there, and I asked him about meditation, and because I'd been doing TM and a few other things, and he said, "Well." you might check this guy Goldstein out. Uh, and that was Joseph Goldstein, who's my teacher. Uh, and uh, when I got, went into that class, the first the first few minutes I was kind of judging the package. Who is this supposed guru? Because he sounded like he was from Brooklyn and I was from Queens and he just a, a year or two older than me. I said, this is the great teacher. That lasted for about 10 minutes. And then... There was something in not only what he was saying, but the way he was coming through him. He was actually comfortable in his own skin. And he was saying it's possible to not be run by your neurotic neurotic thought patterns. Never occurred to me before. And I just believed him. And I I was in a lot of suffering that when I went. And I said, okay, I'm going for it. So I was very inspired that for someone being around Joseph yes. and hearing the teachings. Yes. Was Trungpa there by any chance? He, he was. He was the. He was the main man. He was yeah. the organizer. Trungpa yeah. Rinpoche. What, uh, what was your perception of Trungpa at that time? Hmm. Well, it took me two years to kind of f- figure out that I don't have to. I can just put the judgments down and see that uh, there's something brilliant that was coming through him. He 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 come to his. The uh, uh, the talks late and uh, an hour late and limp in and with Marlboro cigarettes hanging out from his pocket and I'd say what is going on but every time I'd walk away with this brilliant quote that I still use and I say okay I'll take what's useful and leave the rest. I'm speaking with James Beres and he's the author of Awakening Joy: Ten Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. And my name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions.
My guest is James Perez. He's the author of Awakening Joy, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. And James, let's continue with some of the exercises. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was the one about loving yourself. Mm, Yeah, that's a key, you know, because uh, until you can start to see your goodness, you're looking outside of yourself for validation. And you can line six billion people up and, and say, you're really good, you're really okay. But if you can't feel it inside, then uh, you're preoccupied with, with finding your self-worth. So um, one practice that I, I share, very powerful one uh, for me, it was very uh, landmark for me, uh, is doing the loving-kindness practice from a slightly different perspective where in the loving-kindness practice or metta, you're sending kind thoughts to yourself, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, but it's not always easy to, to do that. So here's a, here's a, a simple practice that uh, I found helpful. If you, can I try this with you? Yes, please do. All right. So um, close your eyes and um, bring to mind somebody who you have a real easy, loving connection with. And just imagine they're right here with you. And feel that loving energy that you share. And as you do, just for a few moments, imagine inhabiting their reality and seeing through their eyes, from their perspective, who they see when they're with their friend what touches them about you, the different qualities. Why, why do they enjoy hanging out with you so much? Just uh, take it all in. Drink yourself in, as one poet says. And see that this person, how deserving they are of being happy. You might just send some thoughts to this being who is you. May you really be happy so everybody gets to share your goodness and then let your consciousness uh, move back right inside your own body and from the inside stay connected to that and wish yourself well may I be happy may I be peaceful and That's what you keep on practicing, seeing your own goodness. Then everyone gets the goodies. Okay. Well, along those lines, you know, people say, it's so hard for me to, to like myself. And I say, if you met somebody who got your jokes, who really understood your take on the world, understood your hopes and your fears, how would you feel about meeting them? Most people say, oh, it'd be great. I say, there's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. They're right inside of you, however. And so you might want to just learn to see what others see in you. Because if you met yourself, you'd be tickled pink. Where have you been all my life? You know. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little flip of perspective on that. Yes. Yeah. It's great. That was a great That was a wonderful exercise. <laughs> Good. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. It's fun. Uh-huh. Um, Mm. I have a couple of friends. This particular friend I focused on is someone that, you know, we've, we've been friends for <clears throat> a long, many years, mm-hmm. 35 years or so. 
Connecting with others. Connecting with others. Big one, you know, which can include forgiveness when stuff gets in the way or seeing their own happiness and letting it activate you. But the key is um, is to have that open-heartedness, which in in Buddhism, the, that loving kindness is very different from the pain of love that, that our culture talks about all the time and sells country western songs and romance novels and yes. movies and all of that. The pain of love is really attachment, that which is a, a kind of contraction rather than an open expansion. So here's a here's a I'll take you through another okay. short exercise. Alrighty. Okay. Um, you might uh, close your eyes for a moment and think of somebody who you really love and uh, just have them, bring them to mind and wish them well. Just see them with a smile and just as you would probably want to root for them, just send them some thoughts. May you really be happy. May you open to as much joy in your life as you can. And notice how it feels inside, in your body, in your mind. Now for a moment, just think of wanting something from them. Maybe for them to fulfill your expectations or give you attention or not disappoint you. Just notice I really want that. Sometimes they don't give that. I really want it. And as you do, notice how it feels inside. Notice how it feels in your body, in your mind. See if there's a difference. Okay, I won't leave you here. Take a breath. And then go back to just wishing them well, seeing them smile, seeing them happy, and just sending them good thoughts. Oh, I really want you to be happy. Notice the difference once again in your body, in your mind, in your heart. Okay, so that can kind of give you a clue that the wanting just cuts off the love, whereas the wishing them well amplifies it. And they want to move into your space. Hey, I like hanging out with you. So that is a pointer to the difference between true loving kindness and attachment. Mm -hmm. Nice. Integrity. Integrity. Yep. Well, the the Buddha says, um, there's a quote I I really like in there, for one um, who leads a virtuous life it is a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free of remorse, it's a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is a natural law for joy to arise. So there's something about being aligned with your values that kind of, there's a relief, you're not contracted. Um, one way to practice integrity is to every time you see the high, you see a choice point where you can go one way or the other. You can click that send button uh, on on your on the email, the angry email that you want to vent, 
or maybe you just kind of hang out with it for a day before you you do and reread it. Every time you decide to take the high road, to just feel how good it feels, because that will anchor that feeling of well-being. Before we we do something that we later regret, it seems so to make so much sense. And afterwards, there are like countless mind moments of remorse or regret. Well, this is kind of seeing what it will be like, kind of propel yourself into the future and say, hmm, how is this going to feel later on? So it's, it's kind of like learning the power of delayed gratification which is, I think, one could sum up the whole spiritual trip in, in, in that, that little phrase. Another way that integrity can be used is, you know, the, the classical guidelines for an ethical life, not killing, not stealing, not, not uh, exploiting sexually, not using, harming people through speech or harming others through speech, and, and not uh, clouding the mind with intoxicants that lead to heedlessness. But a a way to practice happiness can be put, those can be put more positively, not killing, really honoring life and not having others be feel threatened by you, not stealing, feeling generous, just expressing your generosity and being there every time you do. Oh, I'm feeling generous right now. That's a recommendation by the Buddha. He says, check out when you're in the middle of a generous act. Notice, oh, I'm being generous now and notice how it feels not engaging in exploiting sexually is like creating a sense of safety for others and why speech not causing harm through your speech but really speaking kindly and not uh, not clouding the mind to the heart with intoxicants is really honoring your body valuing and enjoying a clean body uh, and a clear mind so every time you take good care of yourself like that to really feel the wholesomeness of it and let it be a source of, of joy. As you were speaking about anger, I was reminded of something Thomas Jefferson uh, said, wrote about uh, whenever you're really very, very angry, count to 100 before you say anything. Yeah. Count to 100. Great advice, yeah. Great, yeah, because that's mindfulness. There's a refractory period when you're angry where everything in the world will confirm why you are right and you'll do things that you regret. And if you can, you can get past that refractory period, you have, you, you come to your senses again. So that's a good technique. Mindfulness is also a good technique. Yes, uh, it's... Um been great talking with you. There's so much. I just want to say there's just so much in the book filled with exercises, filled with quotations, filled with uh, just a really a lot of great stories. Yeah. So thank you for this. Mm. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you too. Yeah. So I've been speaking with James Beres. He's the author of Awakening Joy with Shoshana Alexander, 10 Steps That Will Put You on the Road to Real Happiness. If you'd like more information about the 10-month Awakening Joy course, online course, you can go to the website, awakeningjoy.info. That's awakeningjoy.info for information about the 10-month online course. 
or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3377. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio and Media in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can find nearly a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our archive and many other resources. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drazen. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer, supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, and thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, to become a member of Friends of New Dimensions, or to purchase downloadable copies of this and many other New Dimensions programs, visit our website, newdimensions.org. Or you can reach us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.